Aggies, the Jazz, the high schools. If it's the sport you care about, we're talking about it. The Full Court Press on Sports Talk Radio, 1069 FM, 1390 AM. The Fan. What's going on, everybody? Eric France and Ajay Salveson. Thanks for tuning in, joining us on a Thursday. Uh, we still have a lot of things to get through. Like Utah State had a basketball game last night. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> we, we did touch on the Utah Jazz a little bit last hour. Frustrating, really frustrating loss for the Jazz. Again, it's their fifth straight. Uh, we've been catching up with a lot of former Aggies this last week. That's been a ton of fun. Um, Troy Roll, Bernard Rock, Roddy Anderson, Spencer Nelson, Tyler Newbold just got done speaking with Gary Wilkinson. That was awesome. Boy, he was great, wasn't he? I, I apologize for going over, by the way, listeners. My bad. I probably shouldn't ask him that final question. I think you kind of gave me the look of like, what are you doing? No, <laughs> stop, Ajay. But, uh, uh, Eric, I want you to introduce our next guest as someone that you have uh, and I admire a lot, someone that you've been close to and who's done some great things here at Utah. Well, I just think it's appropriate that if we're talking about Aggie legends that we include one of them. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, he's been a part of literally hundreds and hundreds of broadcasts of Utah State Athletics over the years. Uh, he's done over a thousand games, uh, continues to still do stuff for us here at the Cash Valley Media Group before and after every game. So very dedicated to his craft uh, and uh, he's certainly seen probably more games than most. And that's Al Lewis. And he joins us now here on The Fan. Al, thanks for carving out some of your time. I know you're a busy guy, but uh, thanks for... Uh, part of our process here to talk about some of these former Aggie greats and share some of your memories about them. Okay, well, I'm not busy at all, and I didn't know you were talking about me until you... (laughs) 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 He's so modest. Uh, Al, I I just got done listening, and and Eric and I are going to post something on our podcast that's really, really, really neat, and it's you narrating Wayne S. life. From and, and talking about you know when he, when he was born and 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 having Liddell Anderson join you, and then uh, all the way to where he had that historic night on February eighth, nineteen is it sixty five? Is 65, that right? Yep. And and, and years and, coming up Saturday. And and bringing that whole thing to life, it is the most reverent, beautiful thing I've ever heard of Wayne Ness. Such do you, a great tribute. Do you remember when you put that together? Yeah, it was ten year exactly ten years. So I did it in nineteen seventy five on KBNU, I had a once a week uh, show that I did in the evening where I'd interview players or interview coaches. And I put that together at the 10 year anniversary uh, when it was 10 years after and Liddell Anderson, I still remember him sitting down and talking to me and Reed Andreas. And it was the, the play-by-play the guy who worked for KBNU at that time, uh, sitting down and talking to him. And uh, we, they went through and remembered that. And it was really interesting as you talk to them, it was like they reverted right back to the how they felt. Uh, it was Reed Andreessen who came over and told our family, uh, we lived next door to him in Logan, about the accident the morning after. And that was the first I heard about it as a kid because we were all excited because he'd had such a great game the night before. And uh, so, and then uh, Liddell Anderson, it was just like he, he was almost like, uh, well, we went and did this. And it was almost like he was talking like in the exact time when he went back and did those things after it all happened and what happened when he went to the hospital and all those things. So uh, it, was, it was good. It was 10 years after that I did that. This, is, uh, this weekend is, is kind of a special thing they're going to be doing in the stadium. Uh, not only is it an anniversary for Wayne Estes, it's an anniversary of the Spectrum itself. Mm-hmm. Um, you've certainly seen 
hundreds of games there. Uh, just your it, it, if someone was to I don't know fall out of a plane from some strange land and say, "Tell me about the Spectrum." How would you? What would you tell them? What kind of a well, venue I think, is? I it? think it's been one of the great basketball buildings of all time. Uh, it's uh, you know you're right on top of the action with ten thousand people. Uh, it's always been loud. Uh, I was in Las Vegas when they uh, going to high school. I, I was three years. I didn't live in Logan, and I came back from Las Vegas to the first game in the Spectrum when they played Ohio State. Uh, so that was something I had to do because I had season tickets when I was a kid in the old field house uh, before I moved to Las Vegas. And so uh, I came back to the first game and they played Ohio State. The Spectrum has always been uh, a place that's it's a great basketball venue. Uh, you're, like I said, it's loud. Uh, it's, uh, it's just been good. And, and, and the Aggies win most of the time. I think it's 80% or more. Uh, down through the years, and there's a reason for that is because they've always given a big amount of the tickets to the students to make a lot of noise, and it's just been a great place to to play basketball and watch basketball, and and, uh, Utah State's had, for the most part, great years in there in basketball. Al, can you share some of your most memorable games that you were were able to call at the Spectrum? Let's see, at the Spectrum... well, I, I didn't do the game, the 142-140 to 140 Vegas-Utah uh, State game, but still I was in the stands and watching that one. Uh, that was fun. Uh, as far as ones I've done, I remember, I don't know why it comes to my mind, Freeman Williams was a great scorer in college basketball. I played for Portland State. He came to town, and everybody was all hyped up because he was going to play the Aggies. We were an independent team at that time, so we had to try to find people to play. And Portland State came into town, and I still remember – He's leading scorer in the nation. He got the ball locked up, hip, just barely walked across the timeline, and the crowd's just yelling, shoot, shoot. So he buried about a 45-foot shot in front of uh, Dutch Belknap uh, to start that game and it showed that why he was the leading scorer in the nation to everybody. Uh, you know, you, you kind of remember some of the weird endings that didn't go well for the Aggies. Uh, I remember Irvine twice beat the Aggies on last-second shots. I remember... Um, the, uh, Jimmy DeGraff agreed almost half-court shot for Weber State when they came back and beat the Aggies. I remember the game against Weber State where Weber State just rolled us in the first half, and in the second half they couldn't, couldn't hardly score a point, and the Aggies beat them going away after they were down by 20 almost at halftime. Uh, there's many, many great games in there, though, that we've won the games against Nevada one year when they were ranked, and uh, Maurice Spillers uh, making uh, late plays in, in the game on a three-point play. I remember we beat Utah the year after they'd been in the championship game uh, of college basketball, and they came in with a team that was ranked, and Stu's first year wasn't a very good team, and they beat them uh, in one of the early games in the spectrum. Uh, BYU-Utah State games have always been great. Uh, the Greg Grant uh, stealing the ball from Avery and Parrish to go in and score and win the game against BYU, and it looked like BYU could put it away in Logan. Um, and it goes on and on. I mean, you know, the atmosphere last year of our games against Nevada and San Diego State at the end of the year were as good as I think it's ever been. And it was great to see the Aggies get the spectrum back like that last year. Um, I remember Wichita State when they came to town for a bracket buster mm-hmm. game. Uh, Coach Marshall, uh, after the game, said, I guess I've been to all the places in the country. And this compares to Duke, you know, Cameron Indoor Stadium for noise and excitement and everything. So. Uh, those are some of the things that have come to mind because there's so many great players that have been in there and we've had some great teams, great moments. And, you know, it's always it's just always been a great comfort at home for the Aggies, I think. Al, uh, again, we're talking to Al Lewis, uh, uh, 
as we all know, the voice of the Aggies, as he's been for so many different years and through many different generations of Aggie fans. This is a, a, a game coming up on Saturday where they're going to be recognizing, kind of reuniting a couple different teams over the years. Uh, and let's start with that uh, team. It was that 94-95 season. Um, and uh, what, what, what are some of your memories of that squad and some of the things that they did or went through under Larry Eustacey? They overachieved in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't think anybody expected them to be very good, and uh, they uh, they kept playing and playing and playing, and and um, you know, uh, and kind of set it up towards the next year, where that I think it was the next year's team, the, the team of '95-'6, that actually won the conference tournament uh, or played in the conference tournament championship game and lost to San Jose on the last second shot when nobody expected them to be there, but. You know, Roddy Anderson and Corwin Woodard and those guys playing for Larry. After Larry had two good teams to start off uh, kind of a little bit here at Utah State and had some players, and it was a little bit of a different team that year. But, um, you know, they, they achieved and, and went to the NIT and, and lost against Illinois State, as I remember playing at home for some reason. That seems to stick in my mind of that team. But uh, I remember Roddy was such a hard-nosed guard and, and, and solid and, and they had some good players in that era of Utah State basketball. Silas Mills played around one of those teams or close to it. He was always a good player. Uh, Myron Sims, uh, I've seen him a couple of times in high school coaching, uh, still in the state of Utah. Um, uh, you know, that team was the one that, that finally beat UNLV in Logan. Uh, they, they finally, uh, I mean, might have been the year before that, but they had, I, I don't know if it was that year or the year after, but that group of guys, Woodard, uh, Roddy Anderson, uh, Covington Cormier, they were the ones who finally beat him. Justin Jones was a part of those teams. Uh, he was a great shooter. Uh, so that was a, some of my thoughts of that team, I guess. What is your thoughts? Uh, I remember the final interview you did with Stu Morrill in his final game after he was done uh, for post game, and you got emotional. And, oh, I, yeah. and if I'm not mistaken, he did a little bit too. What was your memories about Stu Morrill and him as a coach and coming from Colorado State but staying as long as he did? Well, I... I thought when when um, Bruce Vandevelli, the athletic director, told a friend of mine and and uh, told me and a friend of mine that, hey, what do you think? Do you think we could get? What do you think of Stu Morrill being our coach? And we both said, really, we that's perfect. And it turned out to be perfect. Um, he'd been at Colorado State, been at Montana, but he was a Utah guy, and uh, he he just immediately came in here and and got things going the right direction. And of course, we're better off for the you know the 17 years he had. Um, you know, I, we had some really great games. They were so good in conference play because they could, if they could play their style, they could just chew up anybody they played. And unfortunately, I think sometimes when they went to the NCAA, they just kind of ran into somebody who was a little more athletic that could get through that. But of course, the win against Ohio State's probably the greatest basketball game. Maybe I, you could probably say I ever broadcast because we won an NCAA game and won it coming from behind and tying it on last second shot and then winning going away in the overtime against Ohio State. Uh, and then we play UCLA the next game, and we couldn't score for so long. I think we <laughs> missed about like 30 straight shots in that game against UCLA and Greensboro. But um, Stu's, Stu's a terrific man, and um, he coached guys to be good basketball players. He developed big guys great. Uh, they, uh, teams would always uh, had a hard time playing against us because they could not solve everything that they put into the game. He ran so many plays and 
and was so good defensively and coaching and, and they were so sound fundamentally and had great guys and, and he made really good guys into great teams. I think that's what ended up happening with Stu Moore. Uh, the other teams that are uh, going to be recognized and, and brought together a little more uh, uh, current, I guess you could say. Uh, one of those is a is a team that had some NCAA success, uh, and there that has been kind of elusive for all the great teams that have, that Stu Merle was able to produce. Uh, only one team was able to get an NCAA victory. Uh, what was that like being around that and, and the aftermath? All those guys, that was a great team, uh, you know, with Sean Daniels is probably one of the best basketball players to get things done and not look maybe like a basketball player that we've ever had. But he was so sound, had great hands, and could rebound and was solid inside, just couldn't shoot free throws, but everything else he was great. But Bernard Rock, Tony Brown, uh, Dion Bailey, uh, Curtis Bob, uh, you know, Brandon Ray, those guys were a part of those guys uh, that are you know, now uh, you know, 20 years ago basketball guys that were good and that was the the team they played UConn one year in the tournament then the next year went back and beat Ohio State kind of the same guys and uh that they were really good you know the thing is even the 40-year team I had done the games the two years before those guys had their year with Rod Tuller's team that played Clemson in the NCAA tournament I'd I'd done the games when uh you know uh that hunger and um and um, uh, Rich McElrath and some of those guys who played Clemson in Ogden with Rod Tuller's first team that's having the 40-year reunion. I'd been the announcer the two years before they played. So I know those guys very, very well and are good friends with, with all these guys. I, you know, you see them and just, it, it brings you back and you just think, how could it be that many years ago uh, that we were you know, doing basketball games with those guys and now they're being honored to be a 40-year-old team or a 20-year-old team? It's hard to believe. What's the closest you came to getting a technical foul? Oh, probably there was probably two or three times. Uh, <laughs> I, I one time uh, I had on one of the championship rings that the team got for being a, a conference champion, and the ball came my direction, and I put my hand out to stop the ball, and my ring went flying out on the court, and uh, so that was. But I don't know if there, but. I think one time I was saying to Rod Tudor, wasn't that traveling? And I was making the traveling signal, and one of the officials saw that, didn't like it. And then um, I think Randy McCall once uh, said, like, well, who are you? And Stu came over and defended me and said, that's our guy. Don't bother him. If you've got a problem, talk to me. So, um, <laughs> I, you know, but, uh, yeah, sometimes I, 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 was on, I was on the verge, you know, so. Wait, yeah, you're. I, I tended to yell loud sometimes with the officials in front of me, and I didn't like what they maybe called. So. <laughs> Certainly, one of the the attributes of Al Lewis calling an Aggie game was uh, being excited and being a true I fan. Was passion, way passion. too much over the top on those guys. Those guys have a tough job, and uh, they don't do a tough job very well. But I, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I love so that. Um, this is. Uh, we've had a chance to talk to some of these former players this past week, and it's been a blast. Uh, you had, over your course of time, many different opportunities to speak with these players, either in post-practice opportunities or after games. Uh, sometimes you, you used to have an interview show that you did and, and have these guys on. Uh, are there certain athletes that, that stand out to you and some of the guys that you used to talk to and develop a relationship with? Oh, uh, 
lots of them do, and a lot of them weren't always the greatest of interviews, but you get a chance to – basketball guys, you get to travel more with them, and you're more with them on longer trips. Football, I mean, there's some football guys I just love over the years, but you're kind of in and out, and practices aren't quite the same, and, and, and sitting there in basketball, uh, you do a lot more games in basketball, so you have a lot more pregame interviews you have to fill, so you talk to the guys more often than not, but, you know, you – I have a hard time, uh, to be honest, if I'm pinned down, to not uh, say that I didn't enjoy Spencer Nelson as about as much as anybody I ever worked with were around or broadcast games of. I mean, what a what a terrific guy and what a funny guy. Uh, the two guys who probably stand out to me to be about as funny and getting things uh, 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 light all the time around teams were he and Ty Wesley. They were both of them just terrific. Ty Wesley used to ride guys, uh, you know, mercilessly about something and it was it was just a just funny to watch how they did things and those kind of guys come to mind but many many more are great great guys uh what's the funnest place or like the most memorable place you broadcasted a game at for basketball well the the most memorable has to be cameron indoor because if you don't know it already you have to climb a ladder to get into the the perch that's above the court uh, to do the game. So that's the most memorable, plus, of course, just the overall stuff of Duke's Cameron Indoor. The only other place that comes to mind that was weird is they had the old gym at Boise State before they had Taco Bell Arena. And back in the 70s, when I did the games a couple of those years in the 70s, we did a game one night there where they put us up in the corner. It was almost like they opened a door of a room into the gym and we were up in the corner of the of the arena doing a game, and that's a really a weird angle to do basketball at. But it actually wasn't bad. But uh, that stands to mind a little bit. And there's been a few places. I mean, uh, Cal State Northridge is probably one of the worst, smallest little places you could ever do a game in. <laughs> uh, uh, Idaho doing the game in, in you know in their old uh, dome that they would do it in, where they set up their oh yeah. What, uh, Mike Strauss used to call their clip-on arena. Uh, that they'd make the football stadium into a basketball building. They're, those kind of things stand out. Uh, you know, the, the spectrum was always great. Uh, Eric asked a really good question yesterday to Spencer Nilton. I want to ask the same thing to you. W- when the Utah State went from Big West to, was it WAC and then Mountain West, what was that change like uh, in regards to competition that you saw that Utah State had to face as they moved on, I guess, up the ladder, if you will? Uh, it definitely got harder, but again, uh, to think that Nevada, you know, that first year you had, you know, you had Fazekas, you had Sessions, you had uh, Kemp, guys that all at least played a little in the NBA or had a chance to, and we went in there with J.C. Carroll and Spencer's senior year, uh, and Nate Harris and all that. Uh, we were ready to make that move and be competitive, and what that team did do to make it to the championship game that first year and getting an NCAA at large bid. Uh, shows uh, you know that they they were ready to move up the ladder because we didn't get into the large bit out of the Big West Conference that one year we ran the table and only lost in the semifinal game and hardly had lost the game we're still ranked in the top 25 at the end of the year uh, so it was a step up and it was harder and the competition was better and uh, it it was definitely more exciting those years uh, to be involved and you had Hawaii and. Uh, you know, some of the other teams. And, uh, but, again, some of the old Big West teams, eventually you were back with them when you played in the WAC, which was kind of great to bring back those old rivalries we had. Best opponent you ever got to call a game for as a player? 
Uh, let me think. I like that question, Eric. Best mm. player on the court not Boy. wearing an Aggie jersey that you called. I'll tell you what. He was so annoying. But Danny Ainge was, <laughs> was, was really good. I mean, you know, it, I mean, he kind of comes to mind because he always would make some kind of play or some kind of something or other to beat you or get you or get underneath you or to, you know, bait you into something. But again, he's smart in how he did things. Uh, so he'd come to mind from the seventies when I did the games a little bit in there. Um, you know, that, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, it's like Damian Lillard play against the Aggies and the Aggies actually did a pretty good job against him. Uh, you know, the, uh, Jerry Green from Irvine, he, he always seemed to have big games against us. Um, um, you know, the, the, a couple of guys at the University of Pacific uh, kind of come to mind. Uh, um, you know, we did a really good job against Paul George when he played against, uh, you know, played against Fresno State. He never had great games against the Aggies. In fact, one year, Ty Wesley laid him out with a screen and he never played the rest of the game. He was hurt. And uh, so, uh, I, I don't know. That, that's hard. I mean, I guess Danny Ainge comes to mind the most. What, uh, in regards of as many great games as you call, what's the one loss that was most heartbreaking for you after the game was over that you still haven't maybe even gotten over yet? Mm-hmm. Well, Marquette, the NCAA game mm. that, that, that one of the reunion teams should have won in Boise, uh, is probably the one because you're up there. I think it was what six or seven points with less than two minutes to yeah. go. And they didn't win that game. That was hard. Um, Let's see. Is there others? Um, I, I, I've got to ask you, with the Kansas game against Utah yeah, State, had, and we, had two, we, had, uh, we had a decent shot. We had two decent shots there to tie the game against Kansas. Who was City. it? Do you remember? I can't remember. I think, that, I think maybe one three-pointer was maybe Desmond Penninger shot one of them. Yep. Uh, but I don't know. Who there, I think we had two opportunities, and somebody else shot another one. And, and they were, you know, we had a chance. Uh, Troy Roll. Um, you know, should have been uh, should have been at the foul line to beat Florida in that game at uh, Maui uh, that we played uh, with Stu Morrill's about first really good team, uh, one of those reunion teams this week, and and they Miami played or Florida played for the championship that year in the NCAA. In fact, they might have won it, but I think they finished maybe finished second, but they might have won it. So. Uh, Al, again, we're talking to Al Lewis, the legendary voice of the Aggies. Uh, let's shift to this year's squad. Uh, a lot of talk about uh, Sam Merrill, kind of where he is and where he is in comparison to others who are at the level that he is quickly approaching. How would you compare him to some of those other Aggie greats over the years where he's so close I, to that 2,000 point uh, mark? We did this uh, one night in one of our pregame postgames um, uh, that we've done this year on game day on KBNU. Um, he is... Right now, I still don't think he's quite as versatile as Greg Grant was for getting all kinds of stuff done in the game, but he's very close. I think that you can make an argument that Sam and Greg Grant are the two most versatile, productive uh, Aggie basketball players ever. Now, Wayne Estes was, in, you know, as far as a scorer in three years, what he accomplished in three years scoring would, would never be duplicated. Uh, as far as being able to do what he did and average 20 points a game as a sophomore in first place. And he was a terrific rebounder. I mean, I think 
his 25 rebounds or 28 rebounds might still be the number one thing. And 52 points is still, you know, up there as the highest scoring games. And J.C. Carroll is the best shooter by far the Aggies have ever mm. had. But if you're going to put guys that do everything and put things together, you'd have to put Greg Grant and Sam Merrill ahead of, you know, now you start to talk about Spencers and uh, Ty Wesley type guys who could do lots of things. But they're a little bit behind, I think, Sam and uh, Greg Grant. Wow. That's great. Wow. Uh, that's great. That's a good breakdown right there. Hey, I, I got to ask you, uh, share with us, if you, if you would be willing to, your appreciation for the, for the color guys who sat next to you uh, mm-hmm. during a game with Rob Tiller and uh, who I think – who was who another guy who sat next to you? I can't remember his name. Well, Tom Nasalki. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That was one of them. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, now Lance Beckert's doing the games with Scott. Lance did quite, ended up doing quite a few games with me a little mm. bit, and he was always kind of fun to work with. Of course, Rod went back uh, – my first year I came back to – KBNU out of high school and started working at KBNU, uh, did Logan High games when Rod was still the coach at Logan High. So uh, a long time with him, and he was the assistant coach when I did the games in the 70s when Dutch was the coach. And then by the time I got back on, uh, Tom Nasulke, I think, did... Uh, Tom Nasulke did uh, Stu's first, first, maybe first year, and that was it. So Tom did about four years, and then Rod did the rest of them uh, with me in basketball. Of course, not all the road games, but the road games he could get to. Uh, but uh, those were the guys. And, I mean, I learned so much from Tom, and Tom, basketball-wise, knew a lot. And then Rod, of course, knew all the background and the history of playing against all these teams and, and playing in all these places and, and everything. It was, it was great to work with both of them and those two guys in basketball. Uh, last question for me. Uh, just not too long ago, here Liddell Anderson passed away. Mm. He was certainly an Aggie great for a lot of different reasons. Uh, what was your association with him, and how would you classify what he meant to Utah State athletics? Oh, I, I mean, he played at Utah State. He came back and coached at Utah State after he'd been at Utah. And and where would we have been without him? I mean, Steve Baker had had a couple of decent seasons, but Liddell really got basketball going the right direction for Utah State into the. 60s and 70s, and, and it stayed that way for the most part in the 80s. And then, of course, Eustachie kind of lifted it again in the 90s. Uh, uh, but uh, I, I grew up with Liddell's. When they moved to town, his son was always in school with me, and I knew all five of his sons. One of them just, unfortunately, after Liddell died, his youngest son passed away. Uh, he'd had an accident in his life and had kind of lost the use of his legs, and he's now passed away too since then. So they had a, two tragedies oh. in that family. But again, I... Uh, uh, they're, they're dear friends. Uh, his uh, one son, we probably still play golf three or four times during the year uh, with. So I've always been close to the Andersons, and, and, uh, and Liddell was always a, a dear friend. Yeah, Al, uh, final question for me. You were named not too long ago into the Utah Broadcasting Hall of Fame. Rightfully so, uh, you took your spot there. What did that honor mean to you uh, to receive that, uh, that uh, reward? Well, I I guess I that I'm old and I've been working a long time. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I couldn't have been more. I got to do exactly what I've wanted to do when I was a kid. My I've told the story before. Uh, my family's one of their best friends was the Aggie announcer when uh, Wayne uh, when Norman Olson played, and then uh, the the next guy who replaces him is my next door neighbor who does the games when Wayne Estes plays. 
And so all I ever wanted to do, and I went to Las Vegas and I got the chance to start doing some games and doing a sports show for a station in Las Vegas. Now I wanted to be a sports announcer and wanted to do the Aggie games and got a chance to do that for, you know, 25 years. And, and so I got to do exactly what I wanted to do. And then uh, working in, uh, at the radio station, um, you know, I've been able to have a job that I've enjoyed to do my whole life. And there's not a lot of people who get a chance to do that. Hey, by the way, we had somebody text in on our text line saying against Kansas, I think the other player was Cardell Butler. That's who it was. Thank right. you. That's probably right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank so, you. Yep. We have. Yep. That's probably right. Well, Al, no one, no one did it better than yours. 700 basketball games called, including 21 of those postseason games in the NCAA tournament, NIT and CIT. Uh, there's a reason why we asked you to be on this uh, on this show the weekend, uh, or excuse me, on this show this week, and we greatly appreciate your time and all you've done for Utah State University and all you've done for Cash Valley uh, Media Group. And uh, oh well, that's and and you know, uh, I wish I could be up there uh, uh, sharing, uh, you know, being able to see the guys. Uh, they deserve anything that they get uh, this week in recognition for what they did for Utah State. They're all terrific guys that are all a part of these four teams that they're bringing in this week. Al Lewis, Hall of Famer, thanks so much for uh, joining us and uh, being part of our Aggie Legends series and okay. uh, sharing the memories. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Al. Yeah, we, we can't use our other title when we have Al on, the interview yeah. series with above-average former Aggie basketball players. <laughs> with above-average uh, uh, Aggie broadcasters. Uh, <laughs> no, he is absolutely above-average. Uh, I think you're actually the one that kind of came up with the idea that Al Lewis should be a part of it. And it was a great, great, great idea by you, Eric. Um, as someone who has been in the middle, in the middle of this incredible uh, run of Aggie, uh, uh, of Aggie seasons. And I, I yeah. Well, he's always been so passionate about Utah State Athletics and maybe sometimes too much so. Hey, when someone's it comes willing to, to get a technical? Why not? <laughs> the microphone, the way he talks to the refs as they walk by. Oh, one of my um, favorites. But yeah, it, it's, it's one of those things that just kind of makes you smile. I remember we were we had just lost in the state tournament for Mountain Crest basketball uh, to I think we lost to East my sophomore year, and Utah State I think had lost a day game of Idaho it was like a matinee gamer for something, and Al was doing post game and there was someone I don't know who but it was at Idaho and they were shouting at Al. And Al just like with his headset on, mic hot and everything, hey, we'll do our job, you do yours. Does that sound good? Thank you. And it goes right back into doing his post game. It was amazing. And we were all just laughing our heads off. We're all listening to the post game, just laughing. Like it was so Al, and but uh no one did it ever, ever better than Al Lewis. And uh his voice is legendary. It is and we are grateful, by the way, to have it as part of Cash Valley uh Radio Network. If you ever want to hear his voice, it's 6, 10 a.m., KVNU. You'll hear it for the pregame. Uh, a very special pregame, by the way. Still approaches those pregame and postgames like yeah. you would a normal game. Doing yeah. great research, extra interviews, extra analysis. Uh, definitely brings it every game. Best coverage that anybody can give you of the yep. Aggies. Nobody does it better than Al Lewis. And again, we're grateful to have had him join us. And uh, Eric, that puts us into our final day coming up tomorrow. Of, uh, we'll hear this- from the big man himself. Yeah, uh, above average coaches, I guess you can call it. <laughs> uh, and then as well, we'll have Marcus Saxton, uh, former Aggie Gray. He wasn't a part of the 99-2000 team. He was a year before it, right? Am I right? Or no, excuse me, a year, yeah. The 99, a year before it, where he played against Maryland in the NCAA tournament. And they uh, they lost to Maryland. And I think they got routed by Maryland, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but Marcus Saxton, the point guard, 
Uh, we'll start it off with us tomorrow, and then you will hear. It's a two-part series, by the way, because it was so long. You'll hear two parts from Stu Morrill in the 4 o'clock hour and in the 5 o'clock hour. And then, of course, as always, we'll post it on our podcast and online on 1069thefan.com. Hey, AJ, coming up next on the other side of this uh, timeout, the NBA All-Star teams have now been put together. Oh, we they now have. know who who uh, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert where they're going to be playing, which team they'll be playing for. Will they be playing together or they'll be playing against each other? And we'll break down what happened for the Utah State Aggies in their game uh, over UNLV. We haven't really had a chance to break that down too much just yet. (laughs) So that's coming up next right here on 106.9 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. The Aggies are number one here. The Full Court Press. Connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and online at 1069thefan.com. Take it slow, but it's not too Eric Franson, Ajay Salveson, Full Court Press rolling on. First of all, appreciate Gary Wilkinson who joined us last hour. Oh, that was a lot of fun. Dude, it's been so much fun because I don't have the memories. Like, I don't remember a lot of things, you know, to be able to hear these stories and kind of reflect back and both the bad and the sad ones, if you will. It's been a blast. And, and by the way, thank you to you, by the way, who, uh, you know, when I when I thought about this, I was like, well, you know, is it going to work? Is it going to fit into our show? We got a lot to cover. And you were more than gracious to allow it to happen. And you were so good, as a, great as a co-host, uh, by helping it put together and all that. And so I, I can't thank you enough for letting us do this. this yeah, but this has been no, fun. This has been, been great. So much from these, fun. So we've, we've caught up with Troy Roll, Bernard Rock, <laughs> Tyler Newbold. Spencer Nelson, Roddy Anderson, Gary Wilkinson. Who am I missing? Al Lewis. Yeah, we just talked to Al Lewis <laughs> tomorrow. We've got uh, the big man himself, Stu Morrill. You'll hear from him. Two-part interview. Is that right? Yes. Oh, man. So excited. And then, of course, Marcus Saxon, who played in the uh, first of NCAA tournament games in a long time, actually, if I'm not mistaken, uh, when they played against Maryland, lost by 14, 82-68, who Maryland, by the way, if I'm not mistaken, went deep into the NCAA tournament, I think a Final Four appearance, and lost. Steve Francis on that team? You, I don't, actually, I think he might have been, because I was going to say, oh, two and they won the national championship, and that's not right. He was already with, with the Houston Rockets. I'll have to look that up. Huh. Yeah, I'll have to look that up. Because remember, he was supposed to be drafted to the then Vancouver Grizzlies mm. and refused to show up. He was had a little pity party. Anyway. Sounds about right. Memories. Uh, so the NBA All-Star team has been picked. Okay. Okay. So I'm team, excited. I haven't seen anything Team yet. LeBron and Team Giannis, they had to start with the starters first. And then uh, it, it was a like on the schoolyard. I mean, you pick one and I pick one. You pick one, I pick one. So... We know Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, they're going to be all-stars. They have been selected. So, Ajay, who do you think selected whom and who got picked first? Okay. Uh, I think Rudy Gobert is going to LeBron, and I think Donovan Mitchell is going to go to Giannis. Okay, so here are the rosters. This is I'll go with Team LeBron first. Okay. Okay, I'll go through the full roster. Starting the first five will be starters, obviously. And then this is LeBron, right? This okay. is Team LeBron. Okay, cool. LeBron James. Okay. Anthony Davis. Yes. So this is the order of who was selected, okay? So when I read these, it's in order of being selected for that team. Okay. So LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, Luka Doncic, James Harden. That's your starting five. 
Damian Lillard, Ben Simmons, Nikola Jokic, Jason Tatum, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, and DeMontis Sabonis. Wait, Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook are on the same team? Yes. (laughs) And and James Harden. Yes. Someone's fighting for MVP. So the Team Giannis roster is as follows. Giannis Antetokounmpo, Joel Embiid, Pascal Siakam, Kemba Walker, and Trey Young. That's your starting five. Followed by Chris Middleton. So the uh, LeBron got to be the, the first choice in the starters, and okay. then Giannis got to be the first choice for the reserves. All right. So Chris Middleton, Bam Adebayo, Rudy Gobert, Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, Brandon Ingram, and Donovan Mitchell. Okay, dude, Team Giannis is going to get wrecked. So DeMontis Sabonis was the last player picked. Donovan wasn't the last but he was second to last. Poor kid. <laughs> Welcome to the all-star team, man. <laughs> Here you go, young man. <laughs> okay, so when you look at that rule, those two rosters, it's Team LeBron by a mile, right? Um, I don't know. Because, I mean, who's going to guard Russell Westbrook and, and James Harden and good heck, LeBron? And is An- Anthony Davis? Uh, definitely Team Giannis has more of a defensive mindset, I yeah. think. I mean... Team LeBron does have Kawhi. You have Anthony Davis. My gosh. But I think that Team Giannis is a tougher group. But I think that uh, Team LeBron is more of a scorer mentalities group. I just read something on Twitter where they asked uh, Giannis about uh, his his selections that he picked. He said, I wanted to pick someone who's going to pass me the ball. That's why I didn't pick James Harden. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, that's good. Uh, Wow. So Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert so are they'll on the be same team. I know there's a lot of people kind of hoping they would play opposite of each other. I'm kind of glad it is but you know on what? the same team. They'll be on the same team. They'll be able to... I'm sure there'll be some lobs from Donovan to, to Rudy. Sure. That'll be fun. Who is your prediction as MVP? I mean, with Chris Paul, James Harden, and Russell Westbrook all on the same team. <laughs> and, and LeBron James, and by LeBron. the way. Oh, man. I don't know. It's a little bit different format this year, so it could be oh, really different. Oh, that's true. That's absolutely true. That's a good point. Wow. So uh, that's just, it's impossible for me to predict that. I could just see people fighting over points and rebounds. I just, I could absolutely see it. <laughs> wow. So James Harden, or sorry, so Mitchell and Gobert on the same team with Giannis and uh, have another, who's the other tall guy they have? They have a couple of them. Rudy Gobert. Giannis, uh, Brandon Ingram. Ingram is another one. Yeah, Bam Adebayo. That's right. Oh boy, yeah, it's gonna be height versus athleticism. Is really what it is. Yeah. And who's the starters again for the East? Well, there's no East or West, but the starters for, for Giannis, Giannis. Uh, Joel, Giannis, Joel Embiid, Pascal Siakam, Kemba Walker, and Trey Young. Dude, they're so much in trouble. I don't know how that game's even going to be close. Yeah, I think I think Team LeBron's probably a more rounded team. Yeah, and just I mean, scoring wise, and like Trey Young in the All Star game is going to be disastrous. I feel like I just don't see that going well. <laughs> I don't. Hey, let's uh, let's let's call another timeout. Yeah, let's do it. And then on the other side, let's break down what happened last night on the Spectrum. Big win for Utah State Aggies. It was Spectrum Magic Night. 
I thought the student section was great. Uh, I thought that Utah State had an okay first half, borderline mediocre. Uh, but then the uh, last half of the second half, it was fantastic. Yeah, it was uh, it was a good first. Oh, it was a good second half compared to a first half, and it all started. <laughs> Really, it started in the locker room at halftime. So it's all coming up on the Full Court Press. Eric France and LJ Salveson, 106 on FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. This is your Mountain West Basketball Update with Nate Kreckman. Colorado State gets another big road win Tuesday night at Fresno State as their senior big man, Nico Carvacho, makes Mountain West history. Kendall Moore, skip pass to the left corner to Stevens, back to Kendall out front, back to Stevens. They play catch on the left side. Stevens is going to work off a Carvacho screen. Got inside the paint. Dumps it off. Carvacho! The dunk! Brian Roth from Learfield IMG College. 80-70 the final as CSU has now won eight of their last nine. Carvacho, 17 points, 16 rebounds for his 46th career double-double. He's the Mountain West's all-time leader in that category, breaking the record previously held by Jordan Caroline. CSU now 8-4 in conference, tied for second with Boise State. The Broncos won their fifth in a row Tuesday on the road at Wyoming. And speaking of Mountain West history. Sparse crowd, Jessup will shoot for three and get the record. Justinian Jessup nails the three from the right side. That is the Mountain West record, 297 career, passing Jimmer Fredette. Bob Beeler for Learfield IMG College, 67-62, Boise State. Alex Hobbs, a career-high 24. Justinian Jessup, now the Mountain West's all-time three-point leader. Also Tuesday, Nevada downs Air Force 88-54. Jalen Harris goes off for 38. He's the leading scorer in the Mountain West. Wednesday, Utah State handles their business at home against UNLV. Sam Merrill comes across the screen. Sam rises for three straight away. Yes! Sam, I am. A big three, and the Aggies up eight, 57-49. Scott Gerard on 1280 the zone. Aggies outscore the Rebels 21-6 over the final eight minutes, win at 69-54. Merrill going for 20. Women's Hoops Wednesday, Boise State 67-48 over Wyoming at Extra Mile Arena. Riley Loopfer with 18. And that's your Mountain West Basketball Update. I'm Nate Kreckman. It's the Full Court Press, weekday afternoons from 4 to 6 on Sports Talk Radio, 1069 FM, 1390 AM, The Fan. Eric Franson, AJ Salveson here on the Full Court Press. We're uh, getting ready to wrap up. My gosh, it's 5.50. We are six minutes from closing up a show. And we have not yet talked about last night's Utah State UNLV game. Been a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Yeah, it has been. Hey, let's do, let's do talk about UNLV Utah State. Utah State gets a big win, 69-54 over UNLV. Really, really bad first half of basketball from Utah State. They clean it up, spot things together, and then all of a sudden they go on this nice little run. Thanks to Sam Merrill and Amir Keta, who scored 30 of the 41 points in the second half. And uh, Aggies run away with it. Yeah, Utah State had one of those stretches early in the game um, where they just went cold uh, for a couple of minutes there, allowed UNLV to get back into the game. Eventually, UNLV takes the lead. But then it's kind of a back-and-forth game, both teams kind of having moments where they kind of stall out a little bit. Uh, But then uh, Utah State, uh, with about eight minutes to go, um, it's it's a tie game. At uh, the eight-minute mark, it's tied at 48 to 48. And then Utah State goes on to outscore them 21 to 6. It was phenomenal. 
Uh, Utah State uh, really clamped down the defense. I thought Keta was fantastic in the post. I thought Merrill really turned it on, uh, making difficult plays uh, you know, to the basket, falling down, uh, running through guys. But the the deep, I really think that it was the defense that sparked what what happened to close out the game. I think that's where you have to give the most credit yeah. for how Utah State finished. So can I ask you, what happened in the first half? What were you seeing that gave them so much trouble? Well, I just think that UNLV has length and athleticism, and they gave Utah State trouble in Las Vegas. And I just think that um, they were mixing it up with different guys coming at them. Um, they were getting some help off of their bench. And I just... Utah State, uh, you know, just had their the couple times like they've had, they're prone to have where they just go cold, just can't get a basket. Uh, and so that allowed UNLV to stay in it. So I think that as much as anything, Utah State would just hit these, these uh, uh, breaks where they would just not be able to get the ball in the hoop. Do you feel like the physicality of UNLV bothered the Aggies more than it should have? I just, I mean, they were so physical with them and so handsy and, just, I mean, in their grill and pushing them around. And it just seemed like the Aggies couldn't handle it for the first little bit. No, that's a good point, too. I think they were definitely doing that with Keta in the post, um, getting away with a lot of more than they should oh, yeah. have. Um, but I think Utah State eventually adjusted to that. I think Keta adjusted to that very well. Um, and then they just kind of turned the tables on him. Uh, another thing that stood out to me is the fact that he used his veterans for a majority of those minutes, especially in the second half. You know, he talked about in the post-game presser with you guys, or you know, in, in the, after the game, he said, you know, we used, we had our younger guys come in, and it just went downhill. I mean, Bear Snow, Kuba looked absolutely lost. It looked like he was nerve wracked. You know, when he first got in there, the moment was just a little bit too big for him. Alfonso wasn't. The normal Alfonso we've seen for a little bit, and so he said, "You know, I got to go with my, I got to go with my veterans." So Miller, Brito, Merrill, Keta, and Bean just spent a majority of the time on the court in the second half. Keta plays a season high thirty six minutes for him, and I and like you said, I thought they were extremely effective, especially down the stretch. Well, and I actually thought it was interesting how much Brito played, uh, and Miller really didn't play a heck of a whole lot yeah. the, when you look at the game. Uh, so I, I thought that that's interesting that. Uh, it, we're seeing this now. If if Miller's not producing early on, then he's he's not going to hesitate making a change there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if he is, then yeah, keep him in because he can be a real asset. Uh, and then uh, uh, well, I, Sam Merrill, like I I don't know what else we can say about him. Like when they needed him, he came alive. He hit that left angle three, had a couple of free throws, then took a charge on the other end. Brutal charge, by the way. He got ran over. Uh, you you could everybody could hear him hit the floor pretty hard, but uh, again, Sam Merrill is just Eric. I well, after getting to knocked do, man. down, uh, when, didn't get the foul call, got got mugged. I mean, oh yeah, <laughs> he falls hard and he comes back and drains a three point shot and just like, all right, you're not going to keep me down. I'm going to keep fighting. Yeah, and that's and that's been Sam Merrill's motto. I mean, every single game, game in and game out. And as we've already mentioned, Sam Merrill is now 21 points away from hitting the 2,000 point mark. 22 from tying the great Wayne Estes. 23 from passing Wayne Estes for third all-time on the scoring list. That is, by the way, on this exact same night from 55 years ago when Wayne Estes hit the 2,000-point mark and then tragically passed away that night. 
It'll be interesting to see how Sam responds. Some players look at that and think, well, that's a big moment. And they just they clam up a little bit too yeah. much. Others, they live for it and they feed off of it and they're chasing it. They want to get it. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see how Sam responds uh, tomorrow. How do you Not think tomorrow, he re- Saturday? How do you think he responds? In your opinion, I think that he'll respond well. I, I think he'll go out there, and uh, he strikes me as somebody that, while that may be nice chatter for some people, for him it's like, look, I got a game to play. I got to go out and try to beat Boise State, a team that came back and shouldn't have. Yeah, that's what'll be on his. Mind. Yeah, there's there's a revenge again. This is part two of the revenge week. A team that uh, Utah State had up eighteen with four and change left, solidly dis. dis- just dispersed in a matter of minutes, went to overtime and the fight fell at Extra Mile Arena. They look for revenge to, uh, on Saturday night. Should be a good one. Remember, uh, game is at 8. If you don't already have your tickets, good luck finding them. Go to Stop Hubber. Hopefully someone else isn't going for you. Or watch it on CBS Sports Network. For Eric Franson, Gary Wilkinson, Al Lewis, I'm Audrey Salveson. Good night, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow.